Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build with us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Quinn. And back for the first time in a while, we've got C.R. Rowanson Clark. So glad to have you back on. Uh, I guess we can kind of like not pretend that you're a guest anymore, that you're basically a semi-official co-host at this point. Hooray. It's good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And today, Clark is not here with his own setting. He's actually going to be helping us out with a new listener setting uh, from Levon. I I hope you're pronouncing your name correctly, by the way. If I'm not, go ahead and ding me on uh, Discord or send me an email. I can make sure that I pronounce that correctly the next time. Um, But before we get into that prompt, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com where uh, you can click on the link, follow the instructions, and in a relatively short time, we'll be building your world live on the podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over at Let's World Build on Twitter. And if you want to come follow us on Discord and chat with us about role-playing games, any kind of world building, all that good stuff, you can find a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can give us money over on Patreon. Or, I mean, you might want it for the sweet Patreon-only episodes. That's fine, too. But enough of the shilling. We're going to get right into this prompt. So the prompt is, the world is inside a gigantic tower with a flare at its apex. For most people, the world is just the sides of the tower where they and the plants and animals live. We've got three tenets as per usual. The flare brightens and dims at regular intervals. Number two, the civilization is largely relegated to plateaus, shelf-like outcrops, crevices, caverns, and scaffolds within the plateau. And number three, in the depths, there is a dark, deep ocean. So this has so many ways that this can go. And because it's your first time back in a while, Clark, we're going to let you start us off by telling what's your first tenet that you want to introduce to this tower of Babel that we've got going on here. Okay. So it, it took me a while to actually wrap my head around the prompt and make sure I understood what, what they were saying. And the, the tenant that I want to have in here is that there are systems in place within the tower to make sure that it is a stable ecosystem, because I don't want this to be a closed box where resources are slowly dwindling and it becomes Mm -hmm. an increasing fight for survival and resources. I want there to be things in place so that new matter, new minerals and new air and water are coming in so that it's actually viable long-term. Oh, nice. So you want a sustainable ecosystem, right? Whether it's due to some technology stuff where the tower itself is designed to do that. It's sending out tendrils to like actually haul creatures in or whether there's other people or entities doing this, or even if it's just holes in the tower, I, I don't really care. I just want there to be stuff coming in so that like new plants can can grow, and on occasion we'll see new creatures and stuff like that. Excellent. Okay. I, I love where we're going with that already. I really love that that um, suggests an intentionality um, in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, that, I mean, that was, that's pretty short and sweet, but I think that it says a lot about the world as we're looking at it. So Daniel, why don't you give us a little bit more direction with your tenant? What do we got for you? 
Um, so I have the people of this tower have all arrived here in small colonialist groups by mysterious means. Oh, interesting. Okay. Interest. Uh, all right. Now, when we're talking about this, how mysterious are we talking? Are we talking they just like exit a door or a, a gate and then they arrive here? Like, what are we thinking in terms of uh, mysterious means exactly? My initial thoughts were that, um, and of course, I, you know, I left it. I said mysterious on purpose so that we could decide what that is. But my initial thoughts were that perhaps they don't remember how they got here because it was so mm. long ago. And so okay. I was thinking perhaps these groups, because it seems like they're they've settled in different parts of the tower. Mm-hmm. Like they, there might only be fuzzy, um, or mythological explanations for their origins. Um, mm-hmm. but the larger narrative is that they're, they're originally arrived here as colonialist groups in some way. Okay. And when we say originally, are we talking like, uh, these people are immortal and don't remember their origins, or is this more of an intergenerational gap of knowledge that we're seeing here? I was thinking intergenerational. So it's kind of like mm. whatever this, wherever they groups when they first got there, like they don't remember the exact circumstances. I mean, the people who are alive now. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. We know our ancestors are different because we do things different on this plateau than the plateau <laughs> yes. to the Northeast. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have and either I, of you read the book Piranesi by Susanna Clark? I have not. No. Okay. The, it, it came out fairly recently and I'm getting some like Piranesi vibes from this type of uh, thing already, as well as Tower of God, which is like an anime and stuff like that. But for Daniel's sake, I'm going to skip that for now. <laughs> I, I also really like that tenant because it leaves it open for more people showing up this way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I actually think that it might work out well with one of my tenants, but I'm going to skip that for now um, because I want to I want to set the tone with a little genre that I wanted to kind of mess with first. Because I, I, I don't know, I, I like to, I, I feel like where we are right now, we see like the tower, the ecosystem, we've got like concepts, but I, I feel like adding a subgenre to it might help give it a little bit more backbone in terms of flavoring and stuff like that. And since none of y'all took your shot, I'm going to take mine now. <laughs> uh, I want the genre or subgenre to be a epic or high fantasy style setting with a focus on wuxia martial arts style um, uh, genre, whatever the fuck that's called. So think in your mind, you're thinking um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You're thinking oh. House of the Flying Daggers. Yes. Uh, you're thinking Man this. with the Iron Fists, you know, yeah. which is mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, stuff like that, where there is a code of, of like honor. There is a code of like personal... Uh, development and there's often like this masterlessness to it where you're not bowing where individuals or heroes are not bowing to the lords and you know the power systems within the world it's more focused on the individual and their particular code maybe fighting against that system or maybe just kind of maneuvering through it towards some greater goal i like that kind of um give that a an east asian sort of uh styling is the idea I, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking about this and I'm like, what kind of subgenre haven't we really done yet? And like, I think Wuxia is like interesting enough because especially when, because because when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out, right? That was the one that kind of unlocked a lot of that stuff for the States. And then we got like a bunch of other, you know, beautiful 
yeah. high fantasy Wuja movies that came out shortly after it. But I mean, the genre has been around for ages and ages. I mean, you look at something like, uh, or a good chunk of what like inspired the Wu-Tang clans, you know, kind of mythology. And that's all Wuxia stuff. And I think it often gets lumped in with like, 70s kung fu movies but it's like it's very different you know like it, just because of that high fantasy style that's incorporated into that subgenre yeah it, it's a it's a it's a kung fu movie if it was put in a secondary world with fan, more fantastical elements like that's Absolutely. really how i think of it which i i think is great for this because generally with a lot of the wuxia there's a lot of meditation physical development philosophy but we also at least in the west because of crouching tiger a hidden dragon there's a lot of associations with different like movement techniques so there could mm -hmm. be all kinds of cool room for that inside this enclosed environment oh absolutely i mean i, I and there there's also this idea that each different plateau or different areas can all develop their own styles or develop their that that are unique to the mini ecosystem that's within that plateau plane or scaffolding. I mean, there's just so much there's so much that we can do with just this little tweak that we've got going on here. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, but especially yeah. if the individual plateaus are are more varied in turn uh, more than just the people, right? If each of them even mm -hmm. have some uniqueness to their ecosystems and resources, like all of that is going to filter into the society of that particular plateau. Absolutely. And I really hope that someone maybe has some kind of, you know, like a tenant that might work with that. Clark, are you are you hinting at one of your tenants or is this like a spitball of an idea that you've got going on? I mean, that was more a spitball of an idea. I do... I do have a second tenant, which I think might fit in in an interesting fashion. I'm not quite sure how, but now I really want to throw it out there. All right, let's see. Let's see how it goes. There is a hidden second shell to the tower. Okay. okay. So everybody lives in the center area, but there is at least one other area um, outside it between them and the outside world or universe whether that area is just for like air ducts and stuff like that, or if it is a entire, I guess, underworld type situation. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I, that's what I was thinking as well, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, but I love, I love that. I, I just think it's so cool that you can like incorporate the guts of the tower itself and make it its own ecosystem in and of itself as well. Mm. That's really cool. So that's my second tenant. <laughs> okay. We can definitely work with that. Uh, so, so, okay, there's a secondary, so there's the outside, so there's people living on the outside of this tower, mm -hmm. and then there's people who are also potentially living on the inside of this tower, correct? And you're saying that in between those two layers, there's like a sub-substrata of people and peoples who are living inside the walls, essentially? I don't know if there are uh, people like outside, outside the tower, but you have the inner core and then there's the wall that they know as the edge of their world, right? Right. And then there's the space outside of that and a second wall. So it's just it's just layers. So it's concentric mm. circles for gotcha. this tower. I don't know how many. I want at least a second. So you have the core and then another concentric ring outside of it. Mm -hmm. And that could be entirely filled uh, with, with monsters. It could be the original inhabitants of the tower. It could mm. be people who have adapted there. It could, it could be anything. But I just... I, 
I really liked the idea because part of what I liked about this prompt was how it took our view of the world and warped it in a certain way. So I really mm -hmm. wanted to carry on with that so that this, this outer ring um, is effectively their underworld in terms of their mythology and the stuff they develop. It, it's the land of darkness. Interesting. I like that question. So question, I want to make sure I understand the topography of the space. Um, so is this, this is a tower, right? And from the prompt, it says um, the world, for most people, the world is just the size of the tower. So does that mean that these people are living on plateaus that are coming out of the walls inward? Or are we seeing this as a tower where the plateaus are sticking out of its outer sides? Oh, See, I pictured I'm, it as going inwards, like inward facing mm -hmm. balconies and that kind That's of stuff. That's what I thought. That is too. a good question. You, you, what's funny is that I'm I'm glad that you brought this up, Dan, because I was actually going to ask for clarification here too. Mm -hmm. And unlike the two of you, I actually had the inverse idea where the majority of the civilization, because I think that, yeah, like number two of the tenets is it's largely relegated to plateaus and whatnot. But to me, when I read that, I think of that as outside of the tower. So they're exposed to some kind of weather and they have some kind of like, vegetation that's essentially like ivy growing up and down the tower and whatnot. But I, I don't see the majority of these people living on the inside. I see them living on the outside because that's where ecosystem tends to thrive. You can know? we inverse what, what um, Clark is saying then? Can we put the, uh, clearly there's some expanse outside of the tower, right? But it seems they, they prompt isn't concerned with that. Can we put this outer shell inside then? I actually have an idea now that now that we're talking about it, because I, I think we can do both. Because what, what I pictured was a massive, enormous tower where parts of the floors had collapsed. And that's why you mm. ended up with the plateaus and stuff on the inside. Oh, I see. Okay. But he also talks about cracks and crevices. So um, maybe there is a whole thing about journeys, journeys through the... Uh, through the underworld, through the dark world to get to the actual vegetation. Like that's where they have to go to farm and harvest and hunt. Um, and that could create all kinds of interesting things where maybe the seat of power is inside the tower because mm -hmm. it's stable and safer there, but the actual resources are outside the tower. So are we suggesting then that the plateaus kind of cut through the walls? So they're inner and outer. Um, where is the gap? Is this gap like the outer space or is it like the void in the middle? Uh, it would be the void in the middle. So you'd have the okay. inner area in my head where the, the plateaus are the floors that have collapsed. Yeah. And then on the outside, those are just like balconies and stairwells. And uh, it, it makes space. the makes the hollow less of an, a hidden thing and more of a known danger where they routinely have to traverse this darkness to get from this one zone to the other. Okay. I, I mean, I can also imagine that we can we can alter it depending on which side of the tower and which area we're on. I mean, right. you can Even really develop... Exactly. I mean, you can develop entire ecosystems that that in certain areas, maybe the inside of the tower is the safe place to be. But then on other parts of the tower, because we don't really have a scale of this tower yet, necessarily. I mean, as far as we're concerned, this thing stretches infinitely. Now, obviously, that's a little absurd, especially for Daniel. But I mean, for the most part, we can really picture this as as big or as small as we really need it to be. You know, I just want to make sure that we all are agreed on where this void or gap is. So like your tenant Clark is suggesting there is a specific void that contains a totally different kind of environment, right? Either it's 
external or it's internal. And I, I see what you're saying, Rob, in terms of that, like it could vary how they pro- mm-hmm. pro- progress through parts of the tower. But is this is there a point at which in the in the center of the tower where it becomes truly this unalien space? Or are we saying the an atmosphere outside the terraces in the outer part of the, the um, tower lead to some place that is the second gap? Um, I was thinking the gap would be between the two. Okay. So it's it's literally the space you have to traverse to go from inside the tower to outside the tower. Is it's just... to the middle, the middle yeah. of the tower. The, okay, it, the it's uh, the it's the middle. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. When I see this, I'm just picturing a ma- a, ma- a stone structure so massive that it will take you days to travel from mm-hmm. you know one side of a door to the other side of a door. Yeah. You yeah. Know, th- that's how big this place is. And then the in between that you're talking about, Clark, is not just the the travel time but it's also people have dug into the walls and have created you know their own mini societies or dungeons or something like that within the walls themselves yeah there it's the space between the walls um yeah and in the heart of the tower going yeah so like it's it's like a so this thing is essentially like a cylinder yes that's what we're saying yeah exactly i mean it's a tower yeah Mm -hmm. um I, I mean, if we want, I was, I was also thinking that could it be so? It could look something like the the Tower of Pisa, you know, where you have like this this kind of spiraling edifice mm-hmm. on the outside. That I mean, you, there, there's so much that we can do that I want to kind of like leave that be wow, for now. So much, yeah, because I mean, just just ju- I'm getting overexcited about architecture here, but. <laughs> here's the thing depending on what the outside of the tower looks like at any point it completely changes the potentiality of the ecosystem yes having columns or having certain outcrop or uh, uh, plateaus and outcroppings and stuff like that can completely change what those societies look like Uh, when i when i say like you could have entire rope cities or or rope bridge cities hanging between the pillars uh, yeah. on the outside and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And and d- again, this all depends on the architecture that we're talking about here. And I think that keeping it, like keeping the tower, like changing and looking different from like sp- uh, level to level would also be really interesting to do for that reason. Yeah. Some levels will have windows and some will not. <laughs> what I like, like that is alone. Like, um... Yeah. What I like as a commonality is that um, the f- deeper you get into the heart of the tower, the darker it gets and the more unknown. That's what it seems to be what we're suggesting. I'm so glad that you brought up a perfect segue to <laughs> my tenet, Daniel. Uh, because I said the dark, deep ocean mentioned in the third tenet lies at the very core of the tower, which releases okay. a powerful evil at known regular intervals. Oh, okay. Is it is it an interval impulse with the flare brightening and dimming? Uh, I didn't have that in mind, but we can mm-hmm. absolutely have that because in my mind, I thought of the flare as like a day night cycle, mm-hmm. and this kind of like pulsing like dark I- interval thing. I think it would be, be great if they're aligned because then if it is a day night cycle and it gets darker, that's when the the resounding boom of the ocean Ooh. unleashes whatever happens. And I, you can see like the, the giant flare dim and yeah. then watch the core kind of glow uh-huh. and watch the, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I also really like that. Cause I, I don't know. That's so perfect. That's 
perfect for tying in with the the ocean being a main part of the system that is keeping everything um new and fresh so part of the evil that could be released is like uh creatures and stuff that are just spewed out because oh, there's man. something going on in the tower that is collecting them and at regular intervals it disperses them because it has it has programming where it has to keep things at a certain amount uh, Ooh, yeah. of biomass and genetic diversity and it doesn't know anything about how dangerous they are it's just meeting its programming that's dope absolutely is, is the uh the when you describe the ocean being in the heart of the tower it makes me think of like this enormous water cyclone that's in its yes. core is that what mm-hmm. you're seeing I, I i see it as like a weird tube of water at yeah. the center of the tower i'm yeah. so see i can see them i can see oh, these so little good. figures dwarfed by some crack at the in the heart of the tower mm-hmm. and they can see the waves swirling around it yes and whatever comes out okay i got and you. then you've yeah. got with you. Oh, so much cool stuff. You can have death yeah. sentences where people get thrown into the ocean yeah. or people oh, who man. are actually trying to use it to traverse levels in the tower. Oh, and it's insanely dangerous depending on... Oh, man, we didn't even talk about pirates! Good <laughs> shit. Cool. Oh, God. Yeah, where oh. you're probably looking at, like, yes, it's definitely the fastest to travel along the ocean. But it's also, like, if you're caught out at night, you're it's basically a death sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and if I you get sucked the... further into the core of the ocean, yeah. um, it's kind of like a riptide. You're going to have a harder time oh, getting out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Navigating those tides. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's such a cool idea. That's okay. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and, and I, I did want to leave uh, this open as a possibility, Daniel, because as soon as you said that the origins of these people are unknown, oh, that they, they came from the from the inside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I like yes. that. They were washed I... up at some, and that that makes them also. What's cool about that is there's a draw. The deeper each culture gets into their lore, to go to the unknown place because it yes. describes their origins. There's so, so much cool shit here. Oh my God, it's so exciting. Oh man, that's so good. If I wasn't here doing this, I would be suspicious of collusion in advance. This is just like, no. Now you see that we did yes. not have any collusion. At exactly. All. This, is, this is the great thing about it. It's like sometimes synchronicity just happens on the podcast mm-hmm. where we have ideas that like, work just well enough right oh it's so well and we we talked about this too i think a couple episodes it might have been in the episode about um where we were talking we're kind of like the world building broke down we tried it was an exercise it was a patron episode i believe Uh, yes that was that was a patron only episode yeah okay but in that we talked about the idea that even in fantasy world building whether that's sci-fi or fantasy there's a sense of of narrative logic which I'm sure has been written about academically elsewhere. But my take on it is that like you throw a bunch of ideas at the wall, but there is a logical way, a fantasy logic that different people will, will all, all, all apprehend. And so we end up with the same conclusions because it makes mm-hmm. sense narratively for that to be the case. So like, right. as an example, like when you talked about, um, it makes sense for the cultures to have this unknown origin that they, they all arrived from an unknown place that to be connected to this, this, this portal of water, because like narratively, you know, being drawn to your origins and to, to the, to the unknown is something we as humans like love or care about. That's one way to like interpret that. And Mm -hmm. I feel like multiple people will come to that conclusion. And so it makes sense. It's logical that you get there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that like I find fascinating about being like a humanities major is that like when you're, when I tell people I'm an English major, like they think that all I do is read books, but it's like, 
you, I, I am reading a, a breadth of books to try and understand certain, like right now, I am literally reading a book on the history of wood as a material. And like, what's the name of that book? You should, you should send that. I will, that I will share that in the chat with you. Don't you worry. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's, I think it's called the wood age because we tend to look at human development as stone Metals. age, bronze age, mm -hmm. iron age. But then you look at the through line of wood throughout our entire development as a species and how important a role that plays. And to me, that's fascinating because you look at the universalities that are like kind of sprinkled throughout and the things that we tend to overlook and how important they really are. Yeah. Uh, I think that we can apply that directly to what Daniel's saying here is that there are certain universalities that go overlooked that we all experience. And that, that is what the humanities can really strike at is yeah. at the core of certain things. We're all human and we all experience very similar yeah. things. And we can draw that out in fantasy and in fiction in general, which is why I love this shit so much. Last, last tangent here and then we can get back to the like actual topic but i'm so so glad you mentioned <laughs> that book because one of the best world books i've ever read in terms of prompting ideas for world building is just a book called salt a oh, history yeah. of salt yeah it's, mark kurlansky absolutely yeah he's, it's he's so good and there was that. so much stuff in there that i it just made me reconsider so much about how societies mm -hmm. function and what is essential uh, as, as modern people, we take so much for granted, you know, because we do not see the massive undertaking it took for us to get here to the point where we are now. And I think when you look at stuff like Salt, or he did another book called Cod, which is really interesting, or if I wanted to do, this is a book I haven't mentioned in a long time, but I love it and I still recommend it to everyone, but it's called A Perfect Red, which is all about cochineal and the, the massive importance of a red dye to the world itself. And you can look at all of these things, all these little disparate ideas and things that you don't think about until you make it central to the world that you're trying to build. And suddenly you've got pages and pages of ideas and plot hooks and things about your world that are unique for these specific reasons. All right. We kind of got off on a tangent of just 100 like world building is awesome, which yes, it is. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> Mark, this is just what happens when you come back on the podcast after a hiatus. You know, like that's what it comes down to. We just get excited about the craft. But you're right. We have to get back to the world building. <laughs> Daniel, you have your second tenant, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and hit us with your second tenant, Daniel. So it's a good thing that we wanted to do some sort of high fantasy because this tenet says that magic in the setting derives from the flare and those who possess Ooh. the power are drawn to the flare like moths to a flame. Oh my God, that's so good. That is already so good because when you say moths to a flame, you, there is also this slight implication of perhaps sacrifice, yeah. perhaps heroic sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I, I'm already getting- Danger like, of some kind. Of Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I'm already getting like Dark Souls vibes, you know, but anyway, yeah, th that's a great tenet, Daniel. And and this was something that had been kicking around in my head since I read the tenet about the flare. And so one of, one of the pictures I kind of had was I was trying to figure out how the flare um, would actually reach all of the areas of the tower. Mm -hmm. And we can keep this or we can throw it out. But I also liked the idea of just these veins of of metal that are just like racing throughout the tower that pulse with the flare. 
Interesting. Cool. I like that. Yeah. And and the the reason I bring that up now is because of of people connecting that to the magic. Uh, like if there's leakage from these veins or people mm-hmm. using the veins as a kind of pilgrimage, right? You have to follow the veins back to the source. Mm-hmm. All kinds of of crazy stuff you could do there. Yeah. It, it, it's it's almost like a ley line that you're tapping into. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really great. Okay. Um, so do we have any other questions about the flare and stuff like that? I feel like we should talk about that a little bit more because I think that's a really great idea. I don't think we know much about it yet. Um, mm. Do we have all of our tenants? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I knocked okay. out both oh, of mine, Clark. You did both yours too, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. so we're good to go. We can now freestyle and talk about whatever we want. What we know about the flare so far is that it pulses in some kind of cycle, mm-hmm. essentially giving the equivalent of daylight. And um, we know that it is a a source of magic so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, when I heard all this, I assumed that it was all enclosed inside the tower and nothing external. So I I had some assumptions about the flare actually providing uh, energy and life. I don't Mm -hmm. know what you guys were thinking in terms of that, too. I think it does. It is some form of artificial lighting, right? Because now that it's I assume since the civilization is both inside and outside the structure, the lighting and it's but we know that the lighting is not in the interior where the water is. That must mean that this light gives is the source of like light for vegetation and stuff Mm -hmm. um and so it must whatever it is on the top it must be bright enough that it gives light throughout the whole of the space Mm -hmm. yeah it's a beacon and it is also a light source for particular plants Mm -hmm. which if we want to think about it i mean would that imply that certain plants basically grow directly out from the tower in order to gain sunlight so you're essentially teetering off the sides of the yeah. tower in order for yeah. to get certain plant life and stuff. I'm sure it's probably, it's bright enough too, that like you get some light on the interior, but like we were saying, like the further you go in the darker it is, because the light can't reach. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would imply like most growth being on the exterior then. Yeah. It's horizontal growth, like directly yeah. from the tower itself. That's cool. It's like, yeah. um, one of those, you know, the hydroponic farms. Yeah, you've seen those. Yes. they're they're tube and they're glowing on the outside. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Or w- one thing that I always love to mention is Utrecht's vertical forests, or even I think Singapore has something similar as well. You know, where they have these what are essentially urban forests growing out of the 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 city or buildings and stuff like that. And I know, I know, I'm fixated on this because I just. I think it's cool. If, if you do have the veins um, and just spidering threads of light that, that pulse with the flare, obviously mm-hmm. just weaker, um, that could lead to some very interesting um, environments in some of the between layers as you're progressing to the darkness and progressing mm-hmm. to the ocean, uh, where you do have stuff that's just growing off of the walls, like a, a pine tree on the edge of a cliff, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, and sorry it does it does bring up a question though is does any light reach the core like we know it gets darker but how how do you navigate no. in the ocean are there places where you can see out i want to say no glimpses? but i also want to i want to say that your veins might be in more places than we think like so maybe these veins uh-huh. do provide some bioluminescence or some kind of light 
um, there's a there's a question I have too. Like it, the way you're describing it too is the way that I would ultimately describe something fantastical as having a science fictional origin. But we wanted one of the, your tenets is it's it's high fantasy. So that would suggest to me that these tubes or whatever they are. You know, are they ley lines? Are they lifelines from the flare that are reaching down into the tower, providing mm -hmm. some power? Like, do they keep the torrent spinning in some way? Are they connected to the flare? That's an interesting point, actually. One of the things that I had in mind is when when we when we think about these these kind of ley lines, or I think we're perceiving them as either on the outside or the inside rather than cutting through the entirety of the structure. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Because wh why not have that where you can have like these hot spots essentially mm -hmm. of light and whatnot. And I and think power that's a good... too. Yes, It'd be a exactly. source of magical power. Yeah. yeah. Although what I think might be interesting as well is uh, – people have not found a way to tap into these as a direct power source yet. So we're not looking at this as necessarily like a, uh, a steampunk setting where they're right. yeah. magic or, but it's like, Oh, we can use this, but we don't have the technology to really harness it yet. Right? I have, I have an idea though. Cause I, so like the, if magic comes from the flare in some way, I would imagine those who have magic um, are most potent when they're in the, the light of the flare, which would mean exterior to the tower on its edge. Mm -hmm. But it would also imply that the, when you get further into the tower, there's more darkness, your power is diminished. But could we say then that the ley lines become a source of replenishment for you or mm -hmm. reinforce what, what power you have because they're from the flare. See, oh. I, I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not we can even like, well, first of all, I do want to say like before my brain, I want my brain to catch up with my mouth because I'm thinking like 17 <laughs> thoughts so. at once here. But what I want, what, I, what I'm thinking is, do we even need it to be dark on the inside of the tower? Like, why can't there be not necessarily just as much light, but a, a, a good amount of light on the inside as well? And then when it gets dark, that's when the terror happens, you know? It, it, I mean, the core is what I yeah. mean. Like, I, core is the darkest is what I think. Yeah. I, I really yeah, like, like the, the idea the of it yeah. getting darker as you go mm -hmm. in, but you do have these lines that are running throughout. So, like, when you're on the outside, yeah. the flare mm -hmm. is bright enough. Mm -hmm. It's, it's consistent. It's evenly lit, which... I just really liked what you, the imagery you guys kind of pictured, especially with the magic being connected to it. Cause I'm picturing people going through these dark caves, right? They're in mm -hmm. trouble and they're trying to figure out what to do. And the mage, the magic user recognizes a specific plant and starts frantically mm -hmm. scrambling at the walls, revealing that it's this moss that has been covering a vein, vein. of the oh, flare, yeah. which then yes. lights up the entire area and helps mm -hmm. them deal with these creatures they're fighting. That's great. Maybe yeah. the tower isn't, we've been thinking of it as a tower. Maybe it's not a tower. Maybe it's some kind of living structure. I was actually going to ask mm. if the flare is actually alive because the way you mm -hmm. talked about it, Rob, I'm like, that sounds a lot like a root system, which would be super dope. Or a heart yeah. pulsing, you know? Yeah. So it's not even a, it's not even a tower, but it's a tree or something, something it's like, like, yeah, you're literally climbing Yggdrasil, but it just, mm -hmm. because of, uh, you know, human development, there looks like there's these outcroppings and maybe yeah. Clark, that's or a combination of all. Out. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, but then, but then here's, here's where the tricky part comes in because how is, how does this living thing have an ocean as its core? Cause that's the other thing that we kind of have to figure out as well. I feel so, like they're connected in some way, mm, biologically, yeah. uh, physiologically in some way. 
Mm. And mm. and it doesn't have to be alive. That was my question is I want to yeah. dispur some of this conversation. And, and as we're sure. going, I think I actually prefer if it's not alive and it's just part of the the structure. I do really like the idea of it being an actual stone tower. Yeah. Um, I think I'm with you on that, actually. I'm still drawn to the uh, the concept. I mean, maybe it can be stone, but it doesn't have to be a tree. But I do like the idea, whether it's been artificially designed or not, that it has some sort of lifelike qualities because hmm. veins suggest yes. it's carrying through its body, right? And I like the idea of they've built structures on top of this over such a long period of time that you, when you dig into it, you find, oh, there's a vein or there's like part of its original lattice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like if we say I, I would be okay with like alive in a uh, physiological sense, but not alive as in has sentience and a soul or anything like right. that. Okay. So that actually gives me another thought, which this is getting, if, if I was writing a story in this, this is getting into the world building outside of what I would probably ever show to the readers. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm I'm thinking of it more like you said, Daniel, as a circulatory system mm -hmm. where the glowing veins, like the, the flare and the veins are the channels going out through the tower where it is feeding the energy. Yeah. And then the core is where it is drawing back up. Like it's all water and they just don't know it or some sort of fluid and they just don't know it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it's being drawn up through the center, all of the energy is spent. And then when it's fed back out mm -hmm. through the tower, it's full yeah. of this energy that is generated in the flare. Yes. So what you're suggesting is that these are like the, the tower itself are basically like lungs. And so you're drawing in the oxygen and expelling the CO2 or the, the nitrogen, whatever the fuck it is. Mm -hmm. I'm not a scientist or, or something. And, similar. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and what, and what the, the ocean is, is the out breath, you know, the mm -hmm. inhalation is the flare and the exhalation is the ocean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. So they're, they're interconnected, which is what I wanted. To yes. Yeah, absolutely. Cause then absolutely. if somebody tries to damage one, they end up affecting the other in unexpected mm -hmm. ways. Like if people do eventually start tapping into the ley lines, the mm -hmm. actual lines from the flare, then it's going to start drawing more through the core mm -hmm. and start pulling in more matter and more creatures because it's trying to compensate for the loss. Yes. So they're doing and they this thing and all of a sudden yeah. more and more evil is spewing out and it mm -hmm. just becomes this terrible cycle and it's so great. <laughs> yeah. Does this imply that magic users or those who draw power from the ley lines are beacons or they are magnets to these these evil things that come from the ocean? Because Ooh, it's like, like oh, that. they're trying to they're trying to create that balance. Like, oh, this person is drawn too much. I'm drawn to that so I can return it back to the system. Two things. Um, I like that. Yes, I like there being connection to the creatures being expelled and these magic users. I don't know if I wanted them necessarily to draw life from the veins more so than that. The flare is what gives them power. And because the veins are the flare, it also gives them power. So if they're in the presence of it, they can like use it. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't really so, want them to sap from it. I, I think that would be a bad thing if they did that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Their power is separate, but they have mm -hmm. some, they've formed a link so that when the flat, when the flare pulses, they use that to recharge their reserves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if they're in the darkness and de traveling deep inside, they have to find these veins because they know they can, they can be empowered by them. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, so but I yeah, they could totally be whether whether they're beacons or not. They could be a target for some creatures that are trying yeah. to get similar, like 
similar. Maybe energy. they want the light too, because if, oh, if you yeah. think about it, if the people emerged from this torrent in the, at some point in the past and they were drawn to the light, so would anything else that's expelled from the mm, torrent, exactly. right? That's an excellent point. Yeah, I think. So we could literally go for another hour about this already. And we will totally could. <laughs> next episode. However, uh-huh. where we are right now, I think we're at a good point in the world where we can loop back and recap our uh, tenets so we yes. can try and nail them down a little bit more. So Clark, uh, start us off. You, you started us off. So you're going to tell us what was your first tenet? So my first tenant was that there are systems in place that bring new resources into the tower mm-hmm. to create a stable ecosystem. There's not some kind of gradual decay right. of life. I think that what we've been talking about this entire time with the ocean as the core and the the veins of this kind of flare works really well. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. is absolutely part of it's, the system. It's cyclical. Well, it's not cyclical. It's it's cyclical. I guess yes. if that's the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand what you're talking about. It, it <laughs> yeah, creates yeah. an ecosystem for sure. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so I think that part of the tenet we've nailed completely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Daniel, what was your first tenet? The people of the tower have all arrived here in small colonialist groups by mysterious means. Okay. This also really works for me. Mm-hmm. However, I think that we can explore the groups a little bit more now. Uh, we have the potential as they come from the ocean itself. Do we want to canonize that? And I mean, obviously we can kind of keep it a secret to the people who are living there, yeah. but do we want to canonize it? So that is in fact where people come from. Within yeah, the I think so. Cause to me that, that makes perfect sense narratively. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I do want to add the possibility of people drifting there from outside the tower oh. as well. Um, and we also, this is mm-hmm. high fantasy. We yeah. haven't talked about any strange races. And that's exactly so, my next question. Okay. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. With so, but that's what I was saying. People may have drifted through the air or been carried by, by massive birds or, or something. Mm-hmm. They may yes. have come from the outside, not just through the core. Still mysterious mm-hmm. and still colonialists. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, I wonder though, to have hesitation to that, only because I like the idea of people coming from the outside. But... The only question I have is the outside so far has been set up to be outside the parameters of the narrative. That is true. I wonder wonder if this twist might lend itself to getting us there. So I almost want to say, like, what can we put that aside, the outside for the moment and see if the twist suggests something about the world outside the tower? That's actually a very good point, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very tempting, but then it's like, does that diminish them having emerged from the center, which is a very mysterious place so far, you know, that is, that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. So far, so good. A hundred percent. Uh, but let's go back. So fantastical races, what are we Mm -hmm. dealing with here? You know, because as, as I am want to do, I always picture everything as these are just humans because humans are cool and we can make everything, everything and everything that we want. However, I think that this setting in particular can lend itself to some speciation. Yeah, yes. you know what I'm talking about here. Especially when we have weird dark ocean mm-hmm. thing as you know, like a, a point of origin for life. I feel, and, I feel like there's probably some sort of cross, even not crossbreeding, but something that has happened between whatever original groups came, whether they were human or not, and perhaps the creatures that came subsequently. Like maybe they're not all monsters. Maybe some of them are semi sentient. Maybe they that's were what I was breeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there are some species, some cultures here that are not quite fully human anymore. And 
there i i think there is plenty of room for races where they they can they can breed but they aren't viable mm-hmm. right their children are yeah. mules um but i got excited because i was thinking of the wuxia stuff with mm-hmm. non-human anatomies could get yes. very Ooh. interesting yeah yeah that I mean, you could literally have like Wukong, the monkey king, but like he's just so happens to be like an established race of, like, yeah. uh-huh. you know, yeah. or, folk. or very insectile like people because I was listening to Land of a Thousand Bugs, but <laughs> very insectile <laughs> people who have like multiple but very spindly and weak arms. Mm-hmm. So their style is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it would also lend to them living in different parts of the tower as well. In Absolutely. some cases, maybe they're living on, you know, like what is essentially a stalactite type city where they're not living on the solid ground. They're living below it, hanging from mm-hmm. the top of another part of the tower or something yes. like that. And this this will give you too, Rob, like your concern, which I always is, is important concern, I think, with, with fantasy races, like how can we make them interesting um, explorations on the human concept rather than just like a color of human? Mm-hmm. So yeah. like you can have really weird, like you just said, cultural setups because of the way they are biologically. Yeah. And we're not deviating totally from humanity because in a way they're blends of humans, yeah. right? So we can explore mm-hmm. metaphors, we can explore alternate cultures and like alternate biologies. So that's actually really interesting to have this idea that all of the subspecies or different speciations are like part human in a way. So like mm-hmm. you'll have monkey folk or like spider folk where it's yeah. like, yeah, they're clearly like some kind of, I, I hate to use this word, but like a mutant race of humans uh-huh. in some way. Yeah. In and and it'd be cool. It'd be cool. It's kind of like Star Trek races. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> yeah. that is, that is very um, like Chinese mythology, like, and oh, I, that's I that's why I'm that. bringing it up as well. I feel like it's appropriate to the Wuxia style of like mythology that we can create here. Yeah. And also, I really, I really love wordplay. And whenever I'm doing magic systems and world building, and I was just giggling because if you had you mentioned the stalactites, you could have a city, and then you could have the undercity, where it's the city that lives on the underside of the plateau. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then and then you could have like literal like holes being drilled, and then there's like the middle city as well, like. There's like this this metropolis that is literally just the top and bottom side and then the in between like that. There's so much cool shit that you can do. Like you could have an entire setting that is just top, bottom, and then like the the middle part that connects the two. Like you, yeah. you could easily do that. Yes. Which, <laughs> since we are <laughs> recapping the tenants, my second tenant was that there are. Uh, I initially said a hidden second layer. But I just amend that slightly. I just wanted there to be multiple layers and some of them hidden, which we totally have. I I think that's correct. I think that we've nailed this idea that this this tower is not just a singular layer. It is it is an organism, uh, you know, not in a physical sense necessarily. We've gotten to the point where that's distinctly possible as well. But it's like a honeycomb of layers and like secrets and stuff like that. So good. Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, so my my first tenet was uh, I wanted it to be high fantasy and wuxia. I feel like we've we've done that pretty well. I think that we can probably drill down into the wuxia part of it a little bit more, um, like in terms of like flavoring and stuff like that by having an imperial system or maybe just like, I don't know, we can throw in martial arts for from some shits and giggles or Maybe that's like the representation of magic is through martial arts stances and powers and stuff like that. 
But, oh yeah, not not for chicks and the giggles. I mean, Martial arts is gonna be there. It's part, <laughs> yes, part of the genre. So down. Part of the genre that. is about is about part of the genre is about honing your ability, right, in a very practiced yeah. way. And so I imagine the magic users may be the ones. Maybe their magic is really a martial arts style or mastery of the body mm-hmm. because, by being in the presence of the flare, and maybe that's part of it. And I was thinking, uh, you know, to kind of match your second tenet, which I know we haven't gotten to, but this idea that if you're looking to perfect yourself and perfect your art for your martial mm-hmm. arts form, you are going to be drawn to the flare because for some reason that's just the beacon yeah. that all of these powerful wuxia martial artists are drawn to. Mm-hmm. And to be transformed by it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So good. I completely agree. I mean, yeah. I think that encapsulates my second tenant. So you're good there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've knocked that out too. Yeah. And um, I got too excited and already did my second tenant. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot of excitement moving through this particular setting, so that's totally okay. Uh my second tenant was um the core of the tower is actually the deep dark ocean that was mentioned in oh, the yeah. third uh original tenant. So I feel like we've definitely done that. I mean, the idea that linchpin of it pirates and we've had like this as a, as a, we have it as potentially part of a greater ecosystem of the mm-hmm. tower itself. Like, I feel like we've nailed that. I don't really feel like we need to go any deeper into that particular tenet. Correct. Oh, I did just realize they don't necessarily have to be pirates of other people. If the new material and stuff is coming through the core where the evil is being expelled, there's a lot of salvage opportunities yes. for people diving yep. into the ocean just to collect yeah. what's already floating there. They're dredgers. They're, they don't even. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. They don't even necessarily yeah. have to like pirate other folks. They can be like, oh, man, we're deep sea diving. Hopefully we don't get killed by that giant behemoth thing. But, you know, whatever it's worth it, I guess. <laughs> right. Everybody and check your toe it- lines. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't we haven't talked about how how long the cycle of flaring is, but I could imagine too, like maybe it's a rush to get in there and out between a flare cycle because we know how mm-hmm. how it's a huge gap. It is a huge distance in, yeah. inside, so that could be part of it too. Oh, oh, maybe they have to go during like oh, okay, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. Hold on, let me let me slow down, <laughs> slow down. The flare Great. cycle. The light lights up the tower itself and then dims and then that light or power goes through the ocean itself, right? That's how we're kind of thinking of it. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's when that power is filtering through the ocean. That's where you want to go. Yes, exactly. Because it's revealing like there's just enough light where it's revealing the stuff that you really want to get to. So you have to go out when the flare is out. That means that the inside is being lit up more than normal and you got to run in there. And, yeah. And that's, and that's when also when all of the evil is spewing out. Yes, yes exactly. Perfect. That is a perfect balance of the, of the, of the danger there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, but if we're going to do this, we have to make it. So whatever is in there is super, super valuable and worth mm-hmm. the incredible risk. Yes. It can't just be Alaskan crabs, you know, like it has to be something more. (laughs) I mean, it can be if there's delicacies and stuff that are in there, you could make a killing off of that. But I do think like new, new materials would be a huge thing because if you can control the influx of iron um, or even, or even the influx of just shells, um, that would be huge. This is also a good way to kind of circle back to what you were talking about, where this is how you create a sustainable resource or sustainable resources, Mm -hmm. right? 
So yeah. it could be like, this is the only way that you can mine for resources or, or mine for like metals or stuff like that. Yeah. Create weapons or tools and, and whatnot. Without, I mean, yeah, without having to recycle what's already being yeah. used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on, too, from a, a broader narrative point of view, like it depends on what you want um, the stories to be about, right? Yes. So if if you expect to have um, more civilization, politics, economic-centered stories that are about that are larger in scope, then I think it does make sense to have you know missions to go in and extract resources, and you know that kind of uh, almost transactional approach to the way the tower works. If you want to have stories that are more about adventurers who are trying to solve like mystical problems and that are like kind of in the heroic scale. It, you might be able to entice them to go in because there might be either artifacts or secrets or truths or mm. powers that relate to their their understanding of the world that they can only get in those moments when things are being expelled. So, yes. for example, if you want to, if, if it's a ritual of, of all the cultures, of, despite their varied cultures, that going into the torrent is the way to master yourself or to see the mm -hmm. flare or I don't know, like to retrieve the truth of your people. Now it becomes about that rather than economies, which can, mm -hmm. it's yeah. a different story altogether. Yeah. And, and you can also marry the two by saying that if you want to create your own legendary sword, you have to dive in there. It's also, you know, this kind of uh, coming of age, right? Where it's like every warrior, if you choose to be a warrior, this is how you do it. You dive into mm -hmm. the darkness you uncover something about yourself in a metaphorical sense because you're coming of age, you're learning yeah. what it means to be like courageous and stuff like that. And you're also finding something that you can then literally forge into mm -hmm. something that's useful and will help you become that warrior that you hope to be. Couple of ideas. This We talked about how we didn't want people to be able to tap into the ley lines and the flare directly. This could be the only tangible way they have to uh, connect with and gather some of the energy yeah. from the flare is to swim through mm. the core and it actually does draw in some of the residual energy that's the only way like the yeah ooh, the magic really users they're kind of like, like plants that. right they get hit by the light and that powers them yeah the other mm -hmm. thing you could do is if on a certain cycle there's kind of a purge process that happens so then you have all of this mythology of like okay these people and these things were lost to the core um but every 10 years there is there is a surge of evil where there is a chance to retrieve things that were previously lost. I like a mixture of both because yeah. the reason why I made those two distinctions is because I feel like the the genre that you want to go for, Rob, lends itself to stories that are not about um, the economics of how this world works and more about the spirit of the world mm -hmm. and the spirituality and the, I guess what's what's at stake for them as characters. And so, like what you just said, Clark, like. If those, if that's what the core is about, and maybe the gaps are like 300 years, something crazy, and I don't know how that would work, then it's really high stakes. This is about yeah. a journey to the core and mastering yourself and coming back mm -hmm. with the truth, you know, like that, as opposed to we're trying to bring back lumber to yeah. build another right, house, right, right. you know? <laughs> and and so, even if it was, okay, we have this ancient evil that's rising again, and we need the legendary, we need the yes. legendary weapon mm -hmm. or the legendary yeah. robes. Right. Um, so which you, means it's going to be an extremely perilous time and we have to dive mm -hmm. again and again and again trying to find this yeah. thing for some hope of success. You could have it be generational as well. So oh, if you could on. tell a generational story. And, and but but we but remember, this is like part of part of the story that we're talking about. So this is the origin point for every hero is 
they are always born into this generation where they have to dive into the darkness. And then Mm -hmm. again, thematically, it's very appropriate because like you said, Daniel, the flare is the the flame that they are drawn to after they emerge from this darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It it all works. It all works, you guys. (laughs) Okay. I feel like we've nailed the tenets, correct? That's it. We're good. All right. Now we're going to roll some dice and see (laughs) what the, what the twist is because, oh, this is so good already. I'm loving this. Okay. Hold on. Let me grab my dice tray. All right. So we're going to roll the die and see what our twist is. And the twist will be war is sports. So (laughs) I think that is fairly easy to do with our particular setting, but Mm -hmm. We're going to have to figure that out as of next episode. Uh, A big thank you, by the way, uh, to LaVon for providing this prompt. I think you can all tell that we're excited to be back. And a big thank you for Clark for for coming back with us and being a semi-regular co-host at this point. Glad to have you back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm I'm really excited. (laughs) Of course, of course. And remember that if you want us to build your world, like we did with LaVance today, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. You can click on the link, follow the instructions in within no time. Sometime we will be creating your world on the podcast. You can hear us getting overly excited about your prompt, just like we've done today. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build, where you can follow us and, you know, watch us tweet about, you know, dumb bullshit. If you want to come join us on our Discord and chat with us about world building, if you want to tell us about how Wuxia is not actually what we're talking about, let us know in the Discord. Follow a link for that in the description of the episode. And if you're feeling particularly generous or just want access to our sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can click on the link in the description and give us money over on Patreon. That will do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week.